you're drinking two-fifths of vodka a day. You can't drive straight. You can't walk straight. You can't talk straight. You know, we're losing money, blah, 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 blah. Hey, if you can get sober, get your head out of your ass, focus on what needs to get done one day at a time, work it through, this could turn around, and Illinois could become an attractive, vibrant, safe state community again. Welcome to Stay and Fight, a podcast about extraordinary Illinoisans who have made profound impacts on their communities and who, despite all the issues in this state, are dedicated to staying here and fighting for its future. I'm Matt Paprocki, president of the Illinois Policy Institute. And on today's episode, we bring you Tom Sedeka. Tom was the founder of Precision Payroll, a payroll and HR-supported business that served over 1,800 companies in 42 states and he did it right here in Illinois. And he's presently the founder and CEO of Freedom Square, a digital commonwealth where you can get all the pro-freedom resources you could want in one place. And Tom's deep appreciation for freedom comes from an extraordinary family story of losing it that we're about to be gripped by. Let's get started. So Tom, your parents were both, were not born in America. Can you tell me about their lives back at home and what brought them here? Sure, sure. Well, thanks for having me on today. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to speak with you and and any of our uh, patriotic listeners. Um, my folks were born in Lithuania, a small Baltic state just on the uh, western border of Russia. And during World War II, first the Germans invaded and then the Russians. And it was, it was, really became a war-torn country. But when the Soviets came in, they were already communist. And they were looking to take away all religion, all aristocrats, anybody well-to-do. They did not want an upper or middle class. And my family's, my mother's side of the family, they had to escape. And they had to escape with about two hours' notice because my mother's brother was a freedom fighter. Each country would have an organized army. It would almost be like a militia, you know, a, a, a close-knit group, very locally based, that would do everything they can to interrupt supply lines or, or to fight back and, and, and really sort of the insurgency aspect without being formally a military member. Uh, once the military was disbanded or lost or surrendered, a lot of military folks went back into the insurgency, as it were. But the Russians had a way of, of dealing with insurgents, and that is that they would find out their identity, and then they would kill their nuclear family and then their immediate family. The Soviets chased down the unit of freedom fighters that Tom's uncle fought for. Tom's uncle had to ensure that his family was protected. So the freedom fighters rushed to destroy any information that could reveal their identities. They were in the woods outside of a, uh, another town, probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes from their hometown. And they had, basically, they had already cleared out their headquarters, destroyed everything that, all their notes and everything that they could. And then they made a run for the, they made a run for the woods and they were getting surrounded by the troops and the unit decided to, rather than be captured, to end it. And the unit committed suicide. And um, and that was, again, 
hoping that they didn't have the paper, they had no ID on them or anything like that. Yet, as we find in these, in these human uh, engagements, when difficulty and tyranny strikes, the weak tend to stand up and want to collaborate. And it was through some collaboration of Lithuanians that led to the identity of these people. Uh, word got to, to my grandmother that that had occurred and she packed the family up and and they left in, in a wagon and a, a horse and I think they even had a cow that they dragged with them as they made their way towards um, Germany of all places. On my dad's side of the family, my grandmother was an entrepreneur. She had several restaurants. My grandfather managed a technical school in Kaunas, which was the second largest city in Lithuania. And Kaunas and Vilnius would take turns being the capital, depending on what was going on, what war, what invasion. And they were being sought out because they, they were taking the school, they were knocking down the churches, and they were coming for their land. They had a nice plantation outside of town. And so they too had to pack up and leave. With, with They had a little bit more notice, and they left. And they ended up in displaced persons camps in Germany. Both families did, different camps. Um, turned out my, my mom and dad didn't know each other then. They were young teens. But apparently my great-great-grandfathers were good friends. They sit under the oak tree and drink liquor together at 9 a.m. or whatever it was. Us Lithuanians, we've got a hell of a drinking background. Um, but anyway, they, the, both families waited in the camps uh, for five years. And I have some pictures of even, you know, even on a Sunday, the family would get dressed nicely. They would walk out on wooden planks outside of their wooden shacks that was their, was their residency. And they would pose for a family picture on a Sunday. And then they'd walk across the dirt to the church, whatever. And... They had to wait five years because in order for them to, to be approved to come to the United States the, for their application was they had to be sponsored. They had to pass a health exam. The adults had to have employment or an opportunity for employment. And so the families within several months achieved that opportunity. And my mom's family came in through New York and my dad's family came in through the port of New Orleans. And they were originally set up, my dad's family was originally set up to work on a sugar plantation down in Louisiana. But when they got there, my great uncle had was able to get a job for his brother to bring the family to Cicero, Illinois. And that's how they got to, to Cicero, Illinois. And my mom's side of the family got an opportunity. My grandmother got a seamstress opportunity. And my, my grandmother on my mother's side was quite a character. She spoke seven languages which came in handy with German and Russian and, and that as they were maneuvering out of the out of the country. And then they came to they came to Chicago and settled on the uh, south side near like um, the Brighton Park area. I think that's like California and 43rd, 35th, somewhere around there. And then um, the, the Lithuanian community in the U.S., much like every other community, they set up heritage centers, the folks get together, there's scouts, there's 
dances. They're, they set up schools for, you know, continuing education in the language and, and, and that. And that's where my parents met, actually, through scouting. I was born here and along with my brother and sister. And one of the things that was, I hated it when it was happening. Anybody that had to go to like Greek school or Lithuanian school or Polish school probably know what I'm talking about. When you're a kid, you're like, oh my God, what a waste of time. Can I watch Lone Ranger or, you know, the Cisco kid? I mean, or professional wrestling? I mean, do I have to do this stuff? But I'm so grateful for them being patient with us and teaching us that because the, the one thing that my parents taught me was to love and respect the heritage of, of where our family came from. But even more importantly was to love and respect America for the opportunity that it gave our family for generations to continue. I think you bring up you bring up a great point on the privilege that is this country. It's actually interesting. You made a comment about your grandmother was the breadwinner in Lithuania. So she, I mean, she was the entrepreneur in that family. So freedom obviously ran steep in Lithuania when your when your ancestors were there, and it changed very quickly. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one of the one of the uh, a short story, one that I could go into that is such a great telltale of freedom and faith is there is um, a place called the Hill of Crosses in Shaole, which is sort of the northwest um, corner of the of the country. And it's called the Hill of Crosses. I think it began somewhere around the year 1000. There, of course, you had the Teutonic tribes. You had these, I mean, we've, we're a warring race. It's un, um, The human race is just unbelievable. But when their villagers went and they lost their lives, the, the community decided they, they found this small hill to where they placed some crosses in their honor. And what's interesting, it started in about 1000. Lithuania was one of the last nations to adopt Christianity somewhere around 1300 as a nation. The king around 1100 wanted the papal blessing. So he's like, yeah, I'll be, I'll, I'll be Catholic or I'll be Christian. You know, hey, if it'll get me votes. I mean, I guess the politics is it's probably as old as prostitution. And it hasn't changed much. Hasn't changed. And they're both not very, um, anyway, you know my point there. But what's interesting is over the years, they kept building there and building there. And people in Lithuania started to make a little bit of a pilgrimage to go there and, and, and put up crosses. And by the time the Soviets invaded, it probably numbered in a number of thousands of crosses. So in their effort, as they were going through the countryside and burning churches and taking down crosses and converting churches into, you know, Politburo offices or whatever, they, they came across this hill and got rid of all the crosses. What was interesting though, within about a month, the next time somebody was passing through, they're like, hey, how come there's all these crosses that are back here? And why are there more of them? So they did it again and they did it again. And each time, the return of the crosses multiplied. And I think it was sometime in 1985 or 86 where the Russians were like, let's just forget it. You know, we're wasting way too much time. We've spent a thousand years trying to take down these crosses. Yeah. And today there's over 1.1 million crosses on that hill. Um, it was deemed a holy site by Pope John Paul II, who was so instrumental in the destruction of communism along with Reagan and Thatcher. It's such a beautiful story, and it's one that, you know, in spite of the hardest things that are coming, that the people, so the Lithuanian people are resilient. They're like many Americans. And you have to Google the Hill of Crosses. 
The images are absolutely wild and beautiful. Tom, can you tell me the story? Your mother uh, one day was in Lithuania and she was hanging up laundry. With her mom. With her mom. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. So there, um, you know, what's interesting is when she would tell those stories, I would always try to imagine in my mind what, what it looked like. And we had the great opportunity when my daughter graduated high school. We took her to Lithuania with my mom. And to see them walking together in their yard, they were up against the river, and to get a sense of we knew, now we knew all these stories that I've heard for years, and my daughter also, to see exactly where it was, and we saw the area where they were hanging clotheslines, and there was a there was a dive bombing, and they had looked up and saw the face of the pilot, as both my grandmother and mother say, and then everything went black. And then when they came to where they were standing was a big hole and the clothes were everywhere, but both my mom and grandmother survived and were alive. And they all, that was, you know, not only a war story, but a, almost a, a, a faith and miracle story of why, why first, you know, why we did not get taken out at that time how cool to have your daughter go back i mean it's like it's like going to the place that you've seen a postcard of your whole life yeah. and then finding out well that's real and i have to tell you that the the tears that that came from seeing the two of them holding hands walking you know walking together walking the fields where my mom did and i i mean it was something it was really something Armed with his family's appreciation for what Teddy Roosevelt called the strenuous life, Tom got to work and forged an incredible American dream story. But it did take a while for him to find his way. One of your one of your early jobs uh, after school was working at a Xerox. Uh, you sold Xerox printers, right? Well, actually, copiers. Copiers. Yes. Excuse me. Yeah. Not too far down the street from here. Can you tell uh, us a story doing that? Um, which one of the stories are there? So you used to haul these, you used to oh, haul yes, the printer, yeah. and that eventually led to another job. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, um, yeah, this was, now I had, I, I sort of been doing retail uh, during high school and college, and I ended up getting in at a music center um, the summer after my senior year, which was great. I always wanted to work at this store because it had, at that time, records and cassettes, eight tracks, guitars, bases and stereo equipment so it was like really really cool to be there but then finally i'm like man this retail is kind of stuff i need to get a nine to five monday through friday type of job and two of my friends were working over at the at the company and he said come on over and i said great so we find out that <clears throat> all right you got to make sure that um you know you get your territory and we have these copy machines and these copy machines are when you travel to do a demonstration, you have to put them on this metal gurney that you take up to a back of a van, jam it into the back, lock it in, go to your place, pull it out. I think I tore three suits doing that. Um, but then the best was I walk, I walk into a office in Wheaton, Illinois, and I said, hey, do you guys need a new copy? And they're like, no, do you need a new job? And I'm like, what do you got? They were a headhunting firm. And that's when 
they introduced me to uh, Robert F. White and Company, which is uh, uh, Chicago's oldest first payroll company right here at 209 West Jackson. And that's when I went to work for them and found that I loved I loved payroll. I loved the whole aspect of the black and white aspect where there's a solution. Payroll and taxes, they always tie out, but then you're also working with people. So you get the mix of, of both world, worlds and people in, a lot of people will start a business with a great idea. But boy, once they figure out I got to hire employees and now I got all these HR laws, now I've got all this payroll, oh, oh you know, they go into a panic. So firms like that was a great service to bring in. I really took to it. And, you know, that was from there. I was I, I wasn't in payroll up until January of 2020 when I sold my payroll company. Precision Payroll. So going into a headhunting firm to try to sell them a copy or change Tom's life. And a lot of precision success came from their willingness to serve any business, especially if it came by way of referral. Whereas a lot of payroll companies only want to serve the larger companies with larger fees. You know, what's interesting is um, at Precision Payroll, our clients range from one to 10,000 employees because some of the referrals we would get from some of our small clients were big opportunities. And our, our mission was always to, you know, our, our client comes first, our team comes second. This way you never have to, you never have to really worry about your station at the office, that you're, you're covered if the rest of the team is thinking that way. And oftentimes the smaller businesses are, tend to be the ones that have the greatest need. Because the larger you get, you can hire a CFO that has got great payroll experience, or you might hire an accountant that has good background in it, or you get to 60 or 80 employees and you're hiring an HR person that can help manage. But up to that point, it, it's a lot of work. And, you know, in the first couple of years, you do a little bit of cold calling and connecting and networking. But then after that, we didn't cold call or network anymore. And we were we, we got selected for national programs with different organizations and a national CPA uh, organization that selected us that led us to going from, you know, maybe being in four states up to, to, to being in uh, all 57 states, as our former president used to say. I'm sorry, all 50 states. Um both companies and, and, and employees, and we had a great tax department. And um, and we made sure one of the things that we did differently is, you know, as people, for 20 years, we've seen a decline in customer service. Everybody's been trying to leverage AI and everything to get it. And I, I said, you know what, maybe we're old school, but we're going to give our direct lines and emails to the service providers, and they're going to have their own they're gonna have their own base of clients that they serve and then they'll have a backup and a backup to them because we were always three deep in every every function and, um, and client exposure that we had at the company. And that worked very well. And, and we really got got rave reviews from our clients and, and besides getting great thank yous or candies delivered or uh, proposals for marriage to some of my uh, payroll specialists, um, getting referrals is the greatest compliment. And when they refer their father, mother, daughter, and we had we had some clients where we did generations where the the father had a restaurant business, but the daughters opened up a bridal shop and they and they remember his kids helping dad with payroll with us. And here they are 
15 years later now doing payroll with us while their dad still, you know, got, has the restaurant. And so it was a very, it, it was a very uh, fulfilling and satisfying experience to be able to deliver good service, to give employees a good opportunity to grow and improve themselves and improve their lot through, you know, advancement in the company and raises and so forth and, and having a, a very lucky, um, I mean, it was just very fortunate to be able to have great people. And um, we always felt that, you know, we had God looking over us because when I bought Precision Payroll, I bought it in 2009 in the in the throes of the uh, massive economic decline. And my wife said, are you crazy? <laughs> I said, well, you know what? This could be a good opportunity for us. And, and, it, turned out, it, and it turned out to work worked quite well and then oddly we sold january 2020 two months before the covid oh wow yeah so yeah it was um we were, we were being watched out for after all his success tom could have moved anywhere in the country so in spite of illinois problems why has he chosen to stay here and fight for its future well i've had a lot of life here my daughter was born here I met my wife here. My parents, up until recently, my father passed away three years ago, and then we moved my mom from Galena, Illinois, which is one of the prettiest parts of the state, down to Beaufort, Beaufort, South Carolina. But my mother-in-law is still here, and in-laws. And so it's for, kind of for support of them, but also because, you know, it is worth the fight you know, we had talked earlier, if, if we were to put states on a spectrum, and, and let's call it, you know, from, from the left side tyrannical to the right side free, um, Illinois is not too far from being the, the top on the left-hand side, but I don't think it's too late. So there are some massive things that have to be changed, and I'm not exactly prepared to say, you know, up, I'm out of here. It'd be so easy to just, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to go to Florida though. I'm, I sweat a lot. I mean, like, like I had to get some tissues when I got here because I'm like, I'm just sweating walking over here. Uh, Florida, I'm a mess. Um, but someplace dry like Arizona or New Mexico, I'll take a look at it. Um, the point being, Illinois is approaching a point of no return in terms of its deficit and it's debt load to where we could go to junk bonds. We could, I mean, and so I hope to be a part of the solution and the awakening part because, and there's still some time to do it, so why leave? Because if this state can stop in its tracks, I mean, it's like, you know what? You're drinking two-fifths of vodka a day. You can't drive straight. You can't walk straight. You can't talk straight. You know, we're losing money, blah, 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 blah. Hey, if you can get sober, get your head out of your ass, focus on what needs to get done one day at a time, work it through. This could turn around and Illinois could become an attractive, vibrant, safe state community again. But for the po- folks who are in power right now, they're not going to be the ones to do it. 
So I think it's incumbent on us and in, 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 in things that we do, what you're doing with this particular programming, what your institute does in the absolute tremendous work in providing policy, straightforward guidelines on what to do, you know, to, to, to turn this around and to stop that, you know, that near imminent collapse is wonderful. And it has to be, you know, it needs to be, it needs to be supported. And so people need to stop in their tracks today. You know, if you're listening to this, stop in your tracks today. Look up IllinoisPolicy.org, correct? That's right. Look, find the donate button and make a difference. Uh, Tom, a true American and Illinois success story, not only from the company that you helped build to the employees that you helped lift up, uh, but also your continuous fight to give back as a philanthropist, as somebody who's building organizations and institutions that are changing the direction of this state and this country. Uh, Tom, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Absolute pleasure. Tom's newest chapter is founding Freedom Square a digital platform for everything freedom-related. And to learn more about the rest of our work, visit IllinoisPolicy.org. Make sure to click the subscribe button so that you don't miss future episodes on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Stay and Fight. Mm-hmm.